The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We are here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week, once again, is no exception. We've got a great show, and we're going to talk about some serious stuff. As you know, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about addiction, becoming a widow, and this week, we're going to talk about grief. That's right. On Guys Guys Radio, we really want to tackle some of the more serious subjects. We do a lot of fun things. We've done, I think, 570 shows, and we've got a lot more to go, and We're covering the waterfront in terms of dating, relationships, wellness, spirituality, sports, New York Times bestsellers, all kinds of stuff. And it's all fun stuff. It's all good stuff. It's all things we can learn and really use each and every day if we so choose to. But today we're going to talk about grief because I want to take on some subjects that are really some of the things that we all deal with at some time or another. I mean, everybody knows somebody who has some type of addiction. Everybody knows somebody who's lost a spouse, and everybody knows somebody who's dealt with grief, and most of us have dealt with our own personal grief, losing a loved one at one time or another. Today, my special guest, he has really gone through a lot of grief. He and his wife, um, they lost their two teenage children. They were killed in a, a car crash while the family was on their way to look at a new home. They were looking at in Joshua Tree, California, and they got T-boned, and the the children passed. And it's just an unbelievable story, and the strength that these two folks have is just incredible what they've been able to do to help people, to share their story, to give tips about where you go to join a group if you've had something horrible like this happen, what you can do for each step of the way, the logistics, and how you can not lose yourself and actually find yourself and grow from this experience. It's an amazing, heroic story. My special guest is Colin Campbell. He's written a book about his experience. It's called Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. He's a writer, director for theater and film, and they put, he and his wife really worked closely to kind of save their own lives, if you will find meaning and deal with the grief they experienced from losing their two teenage children who were very, very close to them, as you can imagine. And it's just unbelievable, unfathomable what happens if parents not only lose one child, but two. And the great thing is the couple is still together. We're going to talk to Colin Campbell today about this experience, about his books, and he also has a one-man show about this experience, about grief that's going to uh, take off and launch on Broadway and also in Southern California in Los Angeles. And he's, he's a real life hero. And he's a guy's guy. And he's a lot more than that. He's a real man's man in every sense of the word. And I'm so, I'm so honored that he's here on the show and is going to share with us everything he experienced and everything he learned so that, you know, we'll look at some of our own personal troubles and they'll be trivialized by 
some, something like this type of grief, and also maybe we'll be in a better position to handle this type of experience or something like that when we lose a loved one, a friend, a family member, whether they're older or younger, and God forbid losing a child, which is unfathomable to me. But it happens, and it happens all the time, and a lot of people don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And thankfully, Colin and his wife have put together a lot of uh, instruction in terms of how to deal with this, how to cope, how to not just fall by the wayside, and how to grow from the experience, and how to share. Because a lot of what Colin talks about is finding the words. It's all about people really don't know how to grieve, and they don't know how to talk about it, and everybody kind of distances themselves from you when, when things happen like this, because a lot of times they're just uncomfortable, and they don't want it to rub off on them in any way. It's just a subconscious thing. I know from going through my own uh, health challenges about a decade, almost a decade ago now, that when I told people what was going on, they were like, I could see. They, they're kind of backing away, thinking, oh, well, nice knowing you, but you know what? Hey, I'm here. But uh, it's just understandable in human nature. People get afraid and they, they back away and they don't want to have to deal with some of this stuff. And like I said, on Guys Guys Radio, we want to bring you some of the, the challenging aspects of life so we can all be the best people we can be. So when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. So Guys Guys Radio, let's get into my conversation with Colin Campbell right away. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, Guy's Guy's Radio, time to bring on our special guest for the week. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about uh, my special guest and his background. You know, loss and grief are universal experiences, but too often shrouded in isolation and discomfort. In his new book, my guest Colin Campbell writes, Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. And it offers an account of his journey through profound loss and grief while providing guidance and practical tools for others going through similar experiences. Colin is a writer, director for theater and film. He teaches screenwriting at Chapman University and theater at California State Polytech. He's uh, highly His highly anticipated solo performance uh, show is coming out. One man show is gonna be performed in Los Angeles and New York City this year. Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. The new book just came out, and I think you'll re- really learn a lot if you have any friends or if you go through any ex- uh, experiences like Colin and his wife have gone through. So let's just start at the very beginning and welcome onto Guys Guys Radio, Colin Campbell. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored to be here. Well, it's my pleasure, and really the honor goes to you because you are doing some heroic work out there. For the benefit of our audience, what, what basically happened with Colin, and I'll, I'll let him flesh it out, but he and his wife were visiting a new home that they were planning on buying out in uh, California and they, with their two teenage kids, and they got T-boned, and it was a crash, and both children passed. And since then, Colin has put together a book. He's put together a one-man show. He's really gone out there to help people deal with the grieving process because it's something that most people don't know what to do. So let me start at the very beginning, Colin. Um, why did you feel to need, the need to speak up and go public about this experience? It's a brave decision, and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people. But what what was the trigger to cause you to say, we want to put this out there? Yeah. Well, the, the very first trigger was very shortly after the crash, just a few days after the crash, I began writing 
what I thought of as a, as a one-man show. And it was me just trying to process what was happening to me. It was so hard to understand, to, uh, to accept the reality of it. And coming from the theater, I, it just made sense, I guess, to me to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express myself in a theatrical form. And so I started writing this one-person one show um, really just to help me exercise my feelings and, and then literally to understand, to process it. And then I started showing some people the script and people really responded like, wow, this is, you're saying things that are interesting that I've never heard before about somebody processing grief. Um, and, uh, and then <clears throat> I was about to perform it for the first time, March 2020, and that's when the pandemic happened <laughs> and all the theaters shut down. And so my wife and I, Gail, we were, we were alone like everybody else in isolation. And I still had that need to process. I needed to still express out to somebody, to the universe, what was happening to me so I could understand it. And I noticed in a lot of grief groups, uh, because we joined a bunch of different grief groups, a lot of people in those circles talked very bitterly about how they felt abandoned by their loved ones in loss. They felt like people stepped away from them, didn't reach out, and it was so hurtful. And Gail and I, maybe because we're from a theater background, or we're, we're, we're used to expressing ourselves, I'm not sure, but we found ways to keep our community close. And I thought those were worth sharing. Okay. Um, do you want to uh, spend a little time? You want to talk about your, your children? Uh, I want to keep sure. this uh, conversation. And I know, obviously, they meant the world to you. And I'm sure in your heart, they're there. And maybe beyond that, so talk to us about your kids and uh, what happened. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, my daughter's Ruby. She was 17 years old when she was killed. And my son, Hart, was 14 when he was killed. And they were extraordinary children. I, I said at the, the second night of, of Shiva, not, I can go into what Shiva means, but the second night of, of, of mourning after the funeral. And, uh, and I said to the crowd of friends, I said, you know, everybody thinks their kids are the greatest, but actually mine were. <laughs> mine were the greatest kids. Um, and I, I really felt that way when they were alive. Um, I was so proud and honored to be their dad. And, and that was really how I thought of myself. First and foremost, I was Ruby and Hart's dad. Uh, and then I was Gail's husband. And then I was uh, a theater artist. And then I was a professor and a brother and a son, et cetera. But really the first, the central core of my identity was I was Ruby and Hart's dad. Um, and what was so, there were so many special things about them, but one of them was they're teenagers and they still loved me and Gail and loved hanging out with us. But, for some reason, they never really entered that teenage phase of rejecting us. I, I hate you, Dad. Right? <laughs> Didn't get right. into that. Right? Never got that. Never <laughs> ever got that. Not once. Um, they always were down with hanging out with us and going on adventures together. And one of the adventures we, one of our favorite adventures, was to come out here to the desert to Joshua Tree. Um, and that's why we were looking at uh, buying a house out here, a vacation home, because we loved it so much. We came out here so often. It's about two and a half hours east of Los Angeles. So it's, it's like a manageable um, vacation. Uh, so, and we love scrambling up these rocks. For those of you who don't know, Joshua Tree National Park is quite extraordinary and special. It's the size of Rhode Island. It's in a massive national park. And there are these amazing rock formations that are very climbable. It's very inviting to people. Just scramble up these rocks and it's, you have amazing views of the desert. It's a very, very special place. 
Now, you mentioned, um, there's a quote I want to read back to you. By taking grieving out of the public sphere and turning it into a private illness, we have isolated people in mourning and stripped them of the rituals and community support they need to process their loss. As a society, we've become uncomfortable talking about death. As a result, grief has become more mysterious and frightening. I think that's brilliant. Talk to us about that, because that was really part of the fuel that's driven you to to create the work you've done now. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, just pick up on the very last idea, the, the idea that grief is, is so mysterious. I encountered that a lot in, in the early days of grief. A lot of grief books and, and grief therapists, they talk about how everybody grieves in their own way. Um, and, and I find, I understood that where that was coming from. The idea is just to validate, you know, whatever's happening with you and your grief, don't judge yourself. Um, you're not doing it wrong. Um, and that's all very important and valuable. Um, but I wanted a little more guidance. I wanted a little more structure because the idea that we all grieve in our own way, in a way left me without any tools because it's kind of, it's kind of saying you're on your own. <laughs> Good luck to you. <laughs> and I felt like that wasn't really true. Because when I talked to other grieving people, there was a real commonality in our struggles and our issues. Uh, and one of the central issues for many of us in grief is that feeling of isolation. And it's natural. It makes sense. People are scared to upset you further. So they don't want to reach out and, and remind you of your loss, right? They don't want to say, oh, I'm so sorry that your children were killed in case I wasn't thinking about them at that moment. But the reality is, I, I never forget that Ruby and Hart are killed, and and you can't really trigger me because, as I say, I'm already triggered. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and so, and not only that, but I I love talking about my grief and my children, and I also love crying. My relationship to to tears and pain, I just become radically different because I I realize there's no escaping it, uh, and so you have to, in some way. I don't maybe make friends with pain is not the right way, <laughs> but learn to live alongside it. Learn to, to, to find ways to experience joy along with the pain. What, what were some of the words or action that gave you actions that gave you some comfort? Because as you say, most people don't know how to handle it. There's no, there's no rule book. They don't know what to say. I noticed mm-hmm. when my, you know, when I've been to funerals and have family members have passed and every situation is different, but there are some commonalities. And one commonality I found is people don't know what to do. Right. Right. But what were some that, of the things that you got uh, back to my question? I'm sorry. What yeah. were some of the words or actions that gave you some comfort? Some of the good yeah. things you got. Some of the most wonderful things were people expressing their love and their grief at the death of Ruby and Hart. Those were some of the most wonderful things to receive. So it was very early on, and one of Hart's friends, he sent us an email. So we got many, many emails uh, and phone calls, um, and everybody was writing, there are no words. There are no words. Your loss is so immense, I can't even begin to imagine. There are no words. And, and, that was be, and then we, we love you, and that's it. And that's, that's wonderful. Uh, I love hearing that. But what really I really loved hearing was how much they felt the loss of Ruby and Hart. And, the, and this, this young friend of Hart's, uh, they wrote this amazing email of just saying, I loved Hart. <laughs> he was the world to me. Um, and then he described these, these, this specific memory that he had of Hart, this moment they shared, and how his life will be forever changed because of Hart. And he'll think about Hart and love Hart for the rest of his life. And it's like, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing to share. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for, to be honest, we had, we had many of our adult friends also did that as well. They also opened up and shared. 
Um, but it was remarkable how often the, the children were comfortable just simply expressing their love for Ruby and Hart and how welcome that was and how many adults were, were scared to do that. Mm-hmm. Did you find, Colin, um, and I don't know what it, your personal situation is, but for your, whether either religious or spiritual beliefs and your, your wife's, I know she's Jewish and you are Christian, I believe, by what, mm-hmm. what you grew up as or whatever. I don't know what you are. No, no. no actually, uh, my parents were raised as Christians. Okay. Um, Protestants, and they rebelled in the 60s against okay. their parents, and they were, they're atheists. Okay. And so they raised their three children, I'm the youngest of three, as atheists. Okay. And, uh, and I, I have to say, I really enjoy being an atheist my whole mm-hmm. life. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but when it came to grieving Ruby and Hart, I had no cultural traditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I embraced the traditions of, of, um, of Judaism. Because my wife is Jewish, so we raised Ruby and Hart as Jews. They got bar and bat mitzvah. We went. We were, we're active members of our temple. Okay. Um, and and I love being a part. I love I love being a part of Ikar. That's the name of our temple. It's a, a particularly warm and embracing and um, social justice oriented temple in Los Angeles. Um, it's quite quite powerful organization and a quite powerful community. And they rallied to us in a in a way that I. I um, had never imagined it was possible in the way they supported us in our grief. And then specifically, I learned so much from the Jewish traditions about what it means to grieve and how to grieve, literally how to grieve. It was it was an extraordinary eye opener. Mm-hmm. As an atheist, quote unquote atheist, which is not really, you know, there's no real definition for that <laughs> because there's so many variations. Yeah. And I don't know if you have spirituality uh, as as part of your journey, if you will, but mm. how did your personal beliefs, how were they impacted by what happened? Uh, your wife is Jewish, so there are traditions yeah. there, and it's uh, I, I'm Christian a lot faster in the Jewish tradition to, you know, the, the process goes faster in terms of, uh, you know, getting things done there, the, the logistics. Yeah. And I, I know from a big Italian family, every, uh, everybody cries and eats and they don't, there's no, the communication is like, uh, uh, the first couple of times you go to one of these things, it's like, that's what happens. So how, mm-hmm. how what happened with you personally in terms of your own yeah. beliefs and how you responded to the situation? And did those beliefs change at all? I, mean, I know you mentioned that you got comfort from the, the Jewish traditions, but for mm-hmm. yourself, your own mm. personal beliefs did that were they challenged at all by this um well i i i had a deeply held personal belief that everything was going to work out in the end i really believed that everything was going to get better and better and and whatever challenges i faced i was going to surmount them and be improved by them uh and i really believed that that narrative and i just sort of felt special. In a way, I think that we all kind of feel special, right? <laughs> Until we suffer sure. terrible loss, it feels like life is great. And, and that was very hard for me um, to realize that I, I wasn't safe. I wasn't protected from terrible, terrible loss. And, and the unimaginable can happen to anybody. Um, so that was, that was a, a rough awakening. Um, and then in terms of spirituality, I, I feel like I, I did become a little more spiritual in the sense that once Ruby and Hart were killed, it was such a uh, deep, traumatic explosion of my, to my own identity. Um, it was so devastating that in a way it, it revealed to me 
I, I knew that I loved Ruby and Hart deeply. I, I, I knew that already. I didn't need to be reminded. But, but the depths of it were kind of shocking. And in, in a way, it, it sort of tore apart the idea that we're all individuals. Mm-hmm. Because if I could be rocked this hard by, by somebody else's death, anybody else's death, it kind of means we're interconnected in a deeper way than I realized. And a that- part of me is really them. They, they shaped me, made me, they're in me. Well, I got to tell you, for an atheist, that's a very spiritual uh, take on it. So <laughs> congratulations. So my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Colin Campbell, finding the words, working through profound loss with hope and purpose. Um, let's move on to talk about the five stages of grief. I know it's not a happy subject, but typically they're denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. You have five, you have a list of key action steps in the book saying yes, grief groups, trying new things, getting out of bed. It seems like your way of uh, managing the grief process. Talk to us about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so I, I do, do want to say that um, like there's a lot of misunderstanding about the stages of grief. Um, as there's a widespread um, notion that one, one goes from specific distinct stages one after another, and then they arrive at acceptance in the end. And that was never the, the author's intention. Um, um, uh, names immediately escaped me. But David Kessler, mm-hmm. um, in, in conjunction with um, the, <laughs> one of the most famous people in grief, and my name, the name's gone from my mind. I'm so embarrassed. Um, but I read her work. Um, and they never intended it that way. It, it, the word stages, I think, confuses people and makes them think that you go from one to the next, and, and you and you and you you eventually uh, traverse in, in a linear way. And what they were really trying to do was talk about just um, states of mind uh, that one encounters as one moves through grief, and and you encounter them all often at the same time in different orders, different moments of the day. Um, and uh, and so, to my mind, there there aren't really stages of grief in the sense that people think of. Um, it, it's really I think of them as challenges. <laughs> we go through mm-hmm. challenges. So in a given day, I might feel rage and then denial and then guilt uh, all at once. They're all interconnected. Um, and, and that can maybe be um, confusing to people who, who imagine they're on some very linear path. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, that's not how grief works. And, that, and that's not how your book works also, which I say is a good thing because it's a crash course in grief. But you don't have to go through chapter one to ten linearly. Mm. You can jump around. And some of the titles are fear, community, ritual, pain, denial, holidays, guilt, rage, despair. It's a it's a working, it's a book, it's a workbook as well as a, a book with mm. you know very brilliant text in it. So what were the toughest aspects of the buckets, if you will, of, of grief <laughs> for you? There's, you know, there's the guilt, there's anger, depression. Uh, what mm-hmm. which which did you struggle with and what should your wife struggle with the most? And were they the same? Um, yeah, yeah. I think Gail and I, uh, in many ways, we were on a very parallel track through grief. Uh, there were days when we would we were just taking a walk and find we were both thinking the same exact thought, whatever it was, either a specific memory of Ruby and Hart or a specific reaction to what's happening to us or, or thoughts about guilt, denial, whatever it is. We were on very similar tracks. But then on days when we weren't, that was okay, too. You know, there might be a day where, where Gail felt particularly full of despair. Um, and despair, I think, is the most frightening, the most frightening place to be. Um, 
And it helped that I wasn't in, in despair in that moment. It helped that we were not, <laughs> not exactly in the same place. We could pull each other out. Um, uh, but to answer your question, the, the hardest, I think, is despair um, because it, it makes you feel hopeless. And it makes you feel like things will never get better. It'll never change. I'll be in despair forever. Because why would I ever stop being in despair? Ruby and Hart aren't going to come back. And I'm in despair because they're gone. That's not going to change. So my despair is not going to change. And the reality is that it does, that, that you will come out of despair. Um, you, you have to trust in that. And also, I think, take action. Uh, and that was really what I discovered. If I could somehow take an action, almost any action, honestly, it helped me move through grief instead of just lying in bed and just feeling like ah and grief is just this amorphous blob just crushing me if i could just say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do something in honor of ruby and heart i'm gonna take a walk in honor of ruby and heart i'm gonna write a letter i'm gonna journal i'm gonna call a friend and go for a walk anything any kind of action that i can take to show initiative uh, helped me so immensely. And that's why my, my books are, each chapter has, has a whole list of actions people can take, just, just offering suggestions to people, um, things that helped me. Did you, a lot of times when uh, uh, parents lose a child, in your case too, double, my gosh, um, they have issues with the, the marriage is challenged. You mm. guys seem to have come through it uh, stronger than ever. Uh, from yeah. what I could take from the book, but I'm sure there were challenging times there. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. First, I want to I want to address uh, I think another misconception about grief. There, I think there are a lot of of okay. myths about grief, and and you're touching on it. There's a lot of well, several people came up and told me, uh, you know, a lot of times marriages fall apart and you you get divorced after the death of a child, and statistically, it's not actually true. Okay. Uh, Compassionate Friends is this national organization and has done two very thorough studies um, of, of grieving parents. And it found that the rate of divorce after the death of a child is actually lower than the national average. And furthermore, when they surveyed those parents who did get divorced, only a, about a quarter of them said it was, it was directly related to the death of our child. Uh, so and that, that kind of makes sense because sometimes people couples can be falling apart and then coincidentally their child dies. Somebody, you know, kills their child in a, in a drunk driving crash. So um, it's not a reflection of why their marriage is falling apart in the first place. Um, and oftentimes marriages are brought together closer because it sets a crucible uh, and you're sharing this terrible, terrible pain. And, and as I say in my, in my one person show, um, how could we stand to lose each other after we just lost Ruby and Hart? We're already so alone. And that was very true for Gail and I. We really clung to each other. Um, and we, we are closer. How um, are there divergent feelings and perspectives that you and Gail have and have had throughout this mm -hmm. experience? Um, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think wildly divergent. But we do know some couples who, who do uh, move through grief very differently and yet still have a very strong marriage. Uh, we know a very close couple that we're with, we're, a couple we're very close with, and, um, and she's more private and he's more public. And so he has a need to share more and she has a need to be less forthcoming to larger, you know, the larger population, just to her friends. 
and uh, and they navigate just fine. They're just doing okay. it a little differently. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think anything. I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm trying to think of it's something. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, 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 like I can say that that I'm doing a, a one a, a solo show, mm-hmm. and I wrote a book about grief. And my wife Gail wrote a kids book. She wrote a, um, a young adult, but not young, a, a middle grade book. Um, and it's a delightful comedy. It's a sweet, but it honors Ruby and Hart. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, so it's, it's called the, um, the big dreams of small creatures. And so we were both writing books together and mine was all about grief and darkness and mm-hmm. suffering. And hers was this delightful, delightful novel. How did, um, what, learn, how did you learn about, and are there good resources there for people experiencing grief in terms of groups that they can go to and people who have had yeah. similar experiences? And how, how was that process? Yeah, thanks for asking about that, because that's such an important resource. Uh, so the Compassionate Friends is a national organization. So it has meetings all over the country. So there's probably a local one near to wherever you, the mourner, is. And therefore, parents, grandparents, and siblings have lost someone. Um, and you can have lost someone a week ago or 30 years ago. And you're welcome to join this community and share. And that's a very powerful experience to be in that room with people in very different places in their, in their journey through grief. Uh, that can be very helpful. Um, and I found it to be very helpful, for sure. And, and nobody wants to go to a grief group, by the way. <laughs> it's not right. like, hooray, I get to go to a grief group. Right. Um, the, there's a natural reticence. You don't want to be in a room. You, you think you don't want to be in a room full of other people's pain, right? You have your own pain. It's overwhelming. I can't take more people's pain. But actually, being in community is so valuable. It's so helpful. Uh, and then another grief group that we joined is called Our House. And that's specifically to Los Angeles. Um, I wish it were national because it has an amazing model, which is, that group, they, they, they try and team you up with about nine other, 10 other people who are suffering very similar loss. So for us, for our group, it was losing an adult child suddenly within the last six to 10 months. And then you sign up for a two-year commitment and you agree, I'm going to come here twice a month for two years and we're all going to journey together on this, on this path. And I remember when Gail and I were driving there for the first meeting, we we're like, there's no way we're going for two years. <laughs> we, we can't even commit to something two hours from now. No way. We're going to go and we're going to leave. We don't owe them anything. <laughs> and, then we, and then we stayed the whole time and we're still in contact with these people. Uh, it was so powerful. Uh, let me ask this and f- forgive me. I want to ask this the right way. Has this experience in some ways made you a better person. I know it's mm. been, you know, the, the worst possible thing that can happen. Yeah. It sounds like you're building off of it in a very constructive way. And I, mm-hmm. I applaud you as a, as a human being of be, being able to mm-hmm. do this. And now you're helping other people. How, how, tell us yeah. about your personal journey to getting through this. It seems like what you've been saying is that, you know, laying in bed is not going to do it. You got to get out and do stuff and you're doing stuff using the creative gifts that you have, both you and your wife, in terms of putting mm-hmm. content out there that can actually help people and entertain them at, at, at the same time. To So we are more people can be more comfortable, if you will, quote unquote, dealing with this type of mm-hmm. real life situation that frequently occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I talk in the book about how I, at, at first I was really repulsed by the idea of, of as you said, somehow improving, somehow getting better. Like 
the idea that anything good could possibly have come from Ruby and Hart's deaths was just repulsive to me. I, I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not sure. improved in any way. I won't have it. But the reality is that uh, I am changed and I have grown. Um, I, I have a deeper compassion for other people in pain simply because I understand, I understand pain in a new way. Uh, I understand grief and loss and pain. And it, I, I can't help but, <laughs> but empathize with other people who are also suffering because I get it in a way that I never did before. Um, so I, I, I am improved. There is, there is that, a, a phrase, post-traumatic growth. Um, I've encountered a number of times, because I do a lot of reading about grief. Yeah. Uh, I've read a lot of grief books. Uh, and like I said, at first, I didn't like the idea, post-traumatic growth. But, but it's true. It, it is a reality. Um, if, if you allow yourself to, I think. Um, maybe not everybody grows after tr- trauma, but if you're able to process it, I think you do grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colin, what can, what can friends do uh, when d- dealing with a situation like this uh, to, be a, to be a good friend? I mean, we all mm-hmm. have things that happen. Like I, I went to the hospital a couple of times with, and I didn't hear from my friends or even a lot of family members. And that was mm-hmm. su- surprising in a way, but not surprising in another way, because I, I figured that's just the way it is. Like, don't think too much of yourself. This is just people are busy and this and that. How, how did you, what advice would you give to friends when people have things happen to them? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, and I love it. <laughs> and my answer is, uh, is be present and, and reach out and offer, offer to go for walks, offer specific things. Um, don't, I, th- I think sometimes people just say, I'll do anything for you, whatever you want. That doesn't really lead to anything because then it puts the burden on me to think of, well, what do I want? I, I don't know what, you know, but if you specifically suggest, hey, Colin, uh, I'm available next week, every day at 10 a.m. to go for a walk. Um, I'd love to spend time with you. And that way, if I don't feel like going for a walk, I, then I just say no. But if I do, I know someone's there for me. Um, and then, and then. Oftentimes, people in, who are suffering uh, an acute grief, acute loss, they do have a period where they, where they, where they cocoon. They don't want to talk to other people. And then I think my journey was gradually realizing I needed to talk to people, and it really helped me. And I wanted to get out, as it, get out of bed and, and go out into the world. But I think people confuse that initial period of like, ah, I, I'm in my own head, to mean that's how they're always going to be. And so if they reach out to you early on and you say, no, I don't want to go for a walk, they think, oh, Colin never wants to go for a walk. I'll never reach out again. I don't want to bother him. And then two weeks later, I'm like, wait, where is everybody? (laughs) And so keep reaching out. That's the thing. Do Do you think part of it, Colin, is that people personalize everything and that, uh, it's like, I, I know for my own, you know, I was ill and I had to go to the hospital. And once I, people knew what I had, they figured, oh, he, he's gone. And that's not the way it necessarily is. Do you feel that in, in this, they don't want to be near something? They think it could rub off on them mm-hmm. when something bad happens to their friends or whatever, like in your situation where they just don't want to, it's like an avoidal thing. It's yeah. like, they, they, they don't want to, you know, they're empathized, but from, uh, you know, a step beyond, a step away from you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think there is some truth to that, and I think we we don't want to think about pain. It, it 
because it hurts. <laughs> but but it's natural because if you love somebody and you lose them, you're going to feel pain, and that's the pain comes from love. So it's not a terrible pain. It's a it's a beautiful pain, and it needs to be experienced. Uh, you can't bottle it up or hide or compartmentalize. And I think people who are privileged enough to not have to experience that pain, maybe part of them doesn't want to, wants to sort of write us off. It's almost easier. Like Gail and Colin's teenage children, Ruby and Hart are dead. Their life is over. They're gone. Okay. <laughs> like you said, like they're over, they're done. We'll never hear from them again. Moving on. <laughs> and actually it's harder, the harder, but more, but more powerful choice is to find ways of living with grief, right? To still be able to access joy, even as you grieve, even as your friend is suffering, make room for that suffering in your heart and still love life. Don't be scared of crying a little bit. <laughs> it's okay. I have to, I have to applaud you. Uh, my special guest, Colin Campbell, who's written this beautiful book, Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss, with hope and purpose. And one of the things we want to do here on Guys Guys Radio, I want to bring all different types of guests with all different types of information to help people. And sometimes we have to get real. And Colin's doing it the right way, and he's really helping people. And I want to also applaud you as a man, because the name of the show is Guys Guys Radio. And often men mm -hmm. don't, quote unquote, pay attention. And you are now, in my opinion, very present and very in touch with who you are, what you are, and how you feel about things. And I think that's that's a you're a beacon for other men out there. Oh. Talk to us about as a man what this mm -hmm. process has taught you about being a man, and what you see is not happening out there, and what needs to ha happen out there for guys to really step up. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a great a great question. <laughs> uh, I think I've got a couple of things to say about that. Um, one, I think there's a there's a another misconception about handling grief as a man, which is like I'll handle it right? Something terrible happened to me. I'll handle it, which, which means I'll bottle it up. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I won't talk about it to other people. I won't share my pain because that's not manly. So I'll just, I'll just bottle it up. In a, and that's really tough. I'm really tough because I can just bottle up whatever terrible things happened to me, not ever talk about it again. But actually, that's not as manly as it is to experience the pain, to allow yourself to experience the pain, and then to experience that pain in public, to share it, to share it with people that you love because in a way that that's a scarier much much more brave thing to do but also much healthier thing to do because it allows you to process it so you don't if you bottle up all these terrible feelings they come out in another way so you you turn to alcohol to numb it right or drugs to numb it or you know unsafe sex or unsafe activities right you 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 turn to death defying um activities because you're you have unprocessed pain you have unprocessed grief and the i think the, what i've learned is the braver stronger and so much more helpful thing to do is to look at that pain square in the eyes um and take it in and then live live alongside it um and the other thing i found as a man grieving is that i didn't have as many resources as gail did I didn't have as many guy friends as she had girlfriends. So right away, she's off, you know, uh, having these healthy, helpful conversations with all of her, her female friends. And I was like, I've been neglecting my guy friends. I, I just was kind of like having a good time hanging out with my kids and my wife. And I'm just not that good at 
at being a friend. <laughs> I realized that. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I had to, I had to change. I had to get my act together. Uh, and I had this, this sort of epiphany that I always wanted to say no. Someone would reach out, hey, Colin, do you want to go for a walk? No, I don't. No, I don't. And then I realized that was all out of fear. And so it was hard to make decisions in early grief. So I just said yes to everything. Literally anyone who said something to me, I would just say yes to them, whatever it was. Mm. Even if I didn't want to do it, even if it sounded terrible, I just said yes because it was helpful to me because it was too hard to make decisions. And that, that in a way helped me connect with, with guy friends and talk about grief. Okay. In, in a nutshell, uh, we want people to buy the book. It's terrific. Um, okay. What would be like the top three things you would want people who are experiencing something similar to this to do? to know about, to ha help them in carrying forward, take yeah. away from the book? I think one of the, the biggest takeaways is, uh, if you can help it, don't grieve alone. Uh, find a community, find ways of accessing your community, um, find ways of sharing your pain, and then don't be afraid of the pain. Uh, that's what was a big lesson for me. Uh, you know, pain comes in waves, and so it can feel terrifying. If I start down that path and I start weeping, I'll never stop, but it's not true you do stop. And, uh, and it's, you need to do this in order to process your pain. Um, and what's my third thing? Um, let me think. Well, the there's, there's many, I know. Two. I'm forgetting. Yeah, there's lots. <clears throat> but, um, uh, yes, I'm, I'm trying to, that's good. Okay. Okay. I had, had another idea, but that's okay. <laughs> it, it, it'll come. L let me ask you about something you mentioned, which I was not aware of. You mentioned something about adopting uh, two foster oh, yes. kids who are teens, which is incredibly uh, noble of you and your wife. Well, well, we 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 love being parents, um, and it's again it's a big part of our identity. And and we thought, well, let's let's lean into the pain even more to be honest because it doesn't take away the pain it's not like we're, we're not replacing ruby and hard <laughs> we're building a whole new life that hopefully also includes the memories and thoughts of ruby and heart with them um and and so we're on we're on a path to build a new family with two amazing children uh, who've suffered a lot of loss and grief of their own um and, uh, and a lot of trauma and so we have that in common and uh, it's not easy it's not emotionally easy. It's not like a fix at all. Uh, in a way, it's inviting more pain, but, but we're more alive, I think, as a result. With the, with the two children now, are they related to each other? Yes. Yes. They're okay. siblings. Okay. And they're, yeah. something happened to their folks or what? You don't have to get into the details. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. just not, not, able, not able to be okay. raised by their parents. Okay. Um, now you've got your show, your one-man show. Where is it playing yes. now? Yes, thank you for that. It's playing in New York City, Theater Row. It opens March 29th and runs to April 16th. And uh, please come. We've got one show that's already sold out, but uh, the other 12 shows have lots of tickets available. So get your tickets now. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, received a lot of uh, feedback from other folks who are going through similar situations saying, you know what, there hasn't been a resource for something like this? Thank you. I, I have. It's been extraordinarily. Um, empowering and I'm, I'm deeply grateful when I get these feedbacks from people who said I've read dozens of grief books and and nothing spoke to me like your book speaks to me um, and I think part of it is also uh, I wrote it very early on in in grief some of my my, my issues with some of the grief groups that grief books I read where they lost somebody 10 years ago and I feel like it felt like it was 
you're painting it too rosy a picture. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to grieve. And, uh, and so I think my book um, does honor that, that, the challenges, the struggles. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing terrific work. Um, what is next for you and uh, your wife, Gail? Um, well, the, by my show, um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's darkly comedic. Um, I, people I imagine would be terrified of going to see a one man show about grief. It sounds like there any, la- any laughs in it, Colin? There are a lot of laughs. Okay. People are surprised at how much I, I, I will, I can almost guarantee that you will laugh in my show, uh, and you will most likely cry, but, uh, I can almost guarantee the laughs will come. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very funny show, but very real, very raw and real. Uh, and that's been getting a lot of a lot of powerful feedback as well, um, and and now and then we're we're building a family. That's that's really what's next for us. Last question for you: Do you? Uh, and this is just from my own. This is where I'm curious. We're having a conversation. Do you feel at what's the connection you feel with uh, your your children who are gone? Do you feel mm. that you feel their vibration? You feel their presence, or they're just gone? And your there uh, memories in your heart. How do, what's your own personal view of all of that? And your wife? Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind my asking. If it's no. too personal, I understand. No, nothing's too personal. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> what do you see my show? <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> it gets very personal. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's murky for me. Uh, you know, occasionally I'll 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 speak to them as if they can hear me, um, and then other times I am. I am just struck by the fact that they're gone forever and I'll never see them again. Um, so I, you know, that's, I guess, sort of a spiritual side to me, the idea that, that maybe they can hear me and they're cheering me on. I think about that a lot. I think of them cheering me on. They loved me very deeply. Um, they were very cool kids. Ruby, in fact, suggested to us just a, a year or two before she was killed that we should foster adopt. Um, it was her idea, which is so extraordinary, right? Um, as a teenage girl, to be like, we should foster adopt kids. <laughs> but um, so I imagine that they're cheering us on. They're rooting for us in life. I, I think so, and they, I, I'm sure they love you. They, you do just what you what you have done with your experiences is amazing. And God bless you, and keep uh-huh. doing. And I know you're an atheist, but I'll just say it anyhow. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, just amazing work, you and your wife. So congratulations to both of you for for contributing. And for handling your your experience with the uh, with the authenticity, with the honesty, and the generosity that you've shown. So, tell everybody, Colin. Uh, we know about the show. Where can they find your book? Do you have a website, etc.? I do. So the the website for the book is uh, colincampbellauthor.com, and you can buy my book anywhere. So anywhere they sell books, sure. yep. is, my book is available. And then my show again is griefaonemanshow.com for info and tickets. And it's in Theater Row uh, in New York City from March 29th to April 16th. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the great work you're doing. And uh, again, I applaud you for your courage, your authenticity, and your being not only a guy's guy, but a real man. Thank you, Colin Campbell, for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, that was a real conversation with a real-life hero, Colin Campbell, who's written a book about he and his wife's grief at losing their two teenage children in a car crash a few years ago. 
and from that, how he climbed out of the funk that you can understand he would be experiencing and put together this wonderful book, Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. He teaches uh, screenwriting in uh, Southern California at uh, Chapman University, and he is now launching his one-man show in New York on Broadway, Theater Row, actually, and also in Los Angeles, and we wish him all the best because, wow, going through this experience and pulling himself up by the bootstraps to really cope, maintain his marriage and make it even stronger, hopefully, and also deal with all of the grief that comes along with losing the two most special people, obviously, in your life, your children. And what, what a hero, what a man. I'm, I'm just so pleased and honored that he's, he was with us on the show today because, you know, again, on Guys Guys Radio, we want to bring all types of thought leaders on the show to teach us, to teach us. And I'm getting the same education you guys are out there for a lot of these subjects because I've lost loved ones. I have not lost my child, fortunately, and I can't imagine having the strength that Colin and his wife had to go through this experience and come out the other end and really be of service to everybody by writing this book and joining grief groups and being available to help people who've had to deal with this type of traumatic experience. So great job, Colin. And uh, I believe his wife's name is Gail. I didn't get a chance to meet her, but wow, real true life heroes. And thankfully, there's people like that who are, who are so giving and uh, so strong. And what else did we learn there? I think we learned about the whole process itself is, you know, people are afraid to talk about it. People don't know what to say. And Colin has taught us that we really want to have conversations. We really, really want to spend time with our friends and family. We don't want people to back away. We want to accept invitations. We want to continue having open communications with our, with our group, our friends and our family because it's so important and you can't just ignore and block out these type of situations that happen in life. They happen to all of us in some form or fashion, not exactly like this, but we all lose people. We all grieve. We all lose people to sickness and old age and ill health. And, and sometimes it's a big surprise and other times it isn't. And with, regardless of the case, it's painful and we need to learn how to converse with each other and be supportive instead of shying away and just saying, oh, wow, I hope that doesn't wipe off on me, because that's what so many people do, whether it's subconsciously or not, but they're, they're afraid. And uh, so we have to be strong for them and engage, engage, engage. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m., excuse me, we're on KCAA Radio, a replay of the show every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. The podcast, YouTube, and Rumble post worldwide every Thursday. And we're on UK Health Radio all weekend long, four times, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So uh, between the YouTube, the KCAA, the podcast, the Rumble, the UK Health Radio, we've been downloaded in over 100 countries for the podcast. You can find Guys Guys Radio or Guys Guys TV, and I hope you will. And if you do and you enjoy the content and guests I bring you each and every week to the show, I ask you to please 
follow, share, review, and subscribe to our YouTube channel because it really makes a difference as we're doing everything we can to grow and maybe pull in some sponsors who really believe in the work we're doing. It seems like more and more people are coming on board, kind of the guys' guys train, if you will, because we're here to, to help people. That's what it's all about. When men and women, women can be at their best, everyone wins. And we're going to do that for you. And we're going to keep doing that for you by bringing in guests that have some type of value, something to share in an entertaining way. We're not going to just do, you know, grief, addiction, and uh, uh, becoming a widow and all the things we've done in the last couple of weeks. I just wanted to tackle some subjects that I thought would be important to people because these are the real life things that all of us face at some time or another. And it's important that we, be, we talk, we walk the walk, that we talk about all the things that we experience in this life and this incarnation. And what we want to do is share the best learning from the experts. People have really gone through tough situations and have had the, the guts and the intestinal fortitude to really be able to share with us their gift in terms of how to cope and how to communicate, how to engage, and how to really grow from any type of experience. So that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. I'm super appreciative for you being along for the ride. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of my 750 plus guests that I've interviewed, all these thought leaders that I've talked to over the past couple of years. They've been fantastic. Also my wonderful producer, Chris, thank you so much for all your wonderful work. And also Ryan, my strategy lead, who really keeps me and the brand on beam. And most of all, I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers out there as we continue to grow and grow and grow and increase platforms and just the brand just growing organically. And it's so much fun. And I'm really happy and very proud to be able to share information that's going to hopefully help, help people. And you know what? It's up to you. You can vibe with something or not. That's your choice. I'm going to bring you the guests. You determine if that's right for you. That's what we do here. And we're going to keep doing it for you each and every week. So I hope to see you and hear you all next week at this time. And until then, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>